All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Thank you for joining us here. We appreciate you checking in with us. Tim is always here. Tim, how are you doing? Hello, John. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Stop stealing my... That's how I do my intros. Don't do not do it. You just say, hey, John. Hey, John. How's it going? That's better. I'm doing great. Can't complain. You know why I'm doing better? Well, everything's behind me. It's nice. You know, Christmas, check... All my kids' birthdays, check. New Year's Eve, check. Back to normal. It's fantastic. You know what I mean? Took the kids to school today. There's nothing sweeter. You know that song, Baby, It's Cold Outside? Or there's a song, a Christmas song. It's like we take the kids back to school. The parents are excited. And I didn't know, you know, I'm like, all oh, those parents, they're just bad parents, this and that. Yeah, they, they don't love their children. I was so excited taking my kids to school this morning. Like, go. Get out of the house. Get get away from us. Just to get back to normal. Kids were excited too. But anyways, how are you doing? How was your New Year's tip? Uh, it was good. It was good. Um, I got back to Charlotte on New Year's Eve um, in the, the afternoon. So I was just so tired. And Levi actually got sick. So um, we spent New Year's Eve just having, we watched a movie and ordered takeout. And it was very relaxing. And I didn't even stay up for midnight. But it was nice. That does sound nice. Do yeah. you order anything for Levi and takeout? No, no. Sometimes I'll give him a little something, something. But he got so many treats and toys for Christmas. Like we drove down with it, like to my brother, my mom, my aunt. So he's spoiled. He's got he's got plenty of snacks here. Is he? He's still alive. He's still alive. He's sleeping on the couch, being a good boy. No, that's nice. Good for you. That's nice. We had a good New Year's too. I just made my wife dinner. Little, little ritual we have. New Year's Did Eve. You I throw the, down the menu that she gave for you. Well, she's got all these weird allergies, so it's simple: steak, scallop, salad, champagne, and that's it. And like a goat cheese cheese board. So yeah, I did it all, Tim. And it was very simple. The only thing is, I, I couldn't fry the scallops in butter. Oh uh, yeah, and so. It's like, what do I do here? So I threw olive oil on the pan, but she has her own butter that I don't like. It's it's like olive based butter. 
Uh, I didn't get the nice sear on them. You know when you sear scallops? Get the nice brown sear on them. But anyways, I was talking about routines, Tim. I was talking about the New Year's Eve. I'm glad to be back in it. And you know what I do on New Year's Eve? I watch the World Junior Championships. And you know what I noticed about this year's World Junior Championships? It's all about one player. It's about Connor Bedard. It's the Connor Bedard show. He is absolutely crushing every single expectation someone set out there for him. The number one overall pick, he's this year's Shane Wright. Everybody's excited to see him. Everybody's clamoring to get a ticket for the Team Canada games. How is this guy going to produce? How is he going to play under the lights with everybody watching him? Well, Tim, the verdict is in. He's absolutely killing it, dominating it. And thank goodness, because coming into this tournament, I talked about it. All the other experts talked about it because I'm an expert. Why is Canada going to win this tournament? Canada has depth. That's what Canada have has. We can roll out one, two, three, four lines that can kill you. Four lines that can put pressure on you, can score, can bang, all this. Not this tournament. The depth is gone in Canada for some reason. This is a one-line tournament for Team Canada, basically a one-player tournament. If you watch the games, which I have, it is Connor Bedard. He is the engine that makes makes this thing go. Shane Wright, the guy everybody thought was going to be sent down from the crack, and he's going to come in. He's going to be the team captain. It's going to be his tournament. No, nah, I don't want to say nowhere to be found because he is producing, thanks to Connor Bedard, but he's not driving the play. Dylan Gunthier, supposed to be a, a fantastic player. He's going to be Connor Bedard's right-hand man. He's good. All he scored is power play goals. So it is Connor Bedard's tournament. Thank goodness, because Canada needed him in the quarterfinals. Did you watch any of this game or see any of the highlights, Tim? Because it was it was an exciting game. Canada ended up winning in an overtime, but what a, what a game. Did you watch any of it versus Slovakia? I didn't watch it live. I did catch the highlights, and I was on Twitter, and I saw that goal that he scored. And I didn't realize, because I saw it as a highlight. I didn't watch it live, so I didn't realize that it was the game-winning overtime goal. So, which makes it even more special, but like the patience, the hands, the move, the way he can use other players' momentum against them. Like you go to, you go to poke, he's already like cutting back the other way. Uh, it's amazing. It honestly is. And so, like you said, there's a lot of pressure on this kid since he was younger. Like we've known Connor Bedard's name for years now and he's only 17 and he's living up to every bit of it. Yeah, and they did play a good team. I don't want to understate Slovakia because Slovakia is good. They They beat the United States but then they lose to Switzerland and Switzerland is a wishy-washy team for in general, Switzerland, this quarterfinals just got smoked by the Czech Republic, nine to one USA beats Germany, 11 to one. So the quarterfinals in the world junior championships typically is just let's blow out the team we're playing at. They can go into relegation. When we get to the semifinals, that's where we're going to really see who the best team is, whether it's Canada, USA, Sweden, Finland, those are the heavy duty favorites. Usually Czech Republic this year is playing very, very good. Slovakia is taking steps to being a very, very, very competitive hockey team based on the four three win by Canada. They almost won an overtime. I'm telling you what right now, but the Slovakian goalie played really good. Connor Bedard, like I said, lights out. He broke Eric Lindros's record for most points by a Canadian player in the World Junior Championships. He has just been killing it. And then he just got me thinking, okay, everybody's Connor Bernard, Connor Bernard, Connor Bernard. He's put up 21 points in five games. I think he's got 34 in 14 games. This is his third World Junior Championships. 
Like who were the all-time leaders in points for the for the World Junior Championships? Because they're only talking about him overtaking Lindros. And you would think Canada, they would have the highest score in the World Junior Championships of all time because it's Canada. No, not the case. Number one overall, Peter Forsberg. 42 points in 14 games played. A little bit better than Connor Bedard. The next one, Robert Reichel, 40 points. Guy after that, someone you've heard of, Pavel Bure, 39 points in 20, 21 games. S.A. Tikkanen, after that, Alexander McGillney, after that, Rizika, after that, Michael Nasland, after that. Basically, a Hall of Famer's row are only above Connor Bedard in the all-time scoring record for the World Junior Championships. It's not a bad group to be associated with. So it gets me thinking. If I'm a GM in the NHL, Tim, and I'm on the bubble, and I'm watching this tournament, Am I just selling everybody now to get this Connor Bedard kid? Is he the generational talent? Because if I kind of recall last year, wasn't everybody saying the same thing about Shane Wright coming into the draft? The surefire number one pick who's going to go number one overall. He's going to step right into your lineup and just be a difference maker. The kids played in the NHL. He's been a healthy scratch. He got sent to the AHL. He went back to juniors. Now he's at the World Junior Championships where he's not really much of a blip on a radar. Is Connor Bedard for real? Should GMs just tank after seeing his performance in this World Junior Championships? Because he's head and shoulders above everybody else. He, it's. I don't get excited when I watch a player play. And yes, there's... There's good players all over the place in the World Junior Championships every single year. There's McDavid. There's Crosby. I've watched all these guys in the championships. But Dard's doing things that they never did. He's making these kids who are 17, 18, 19 years old look absolutely silly. He's pulling moves on the defenseman and the other team's defenseman's laying out his forward. And Bedard's just gone up the ice. It's incredible. With all that said, Tim. Is the hype too much? Should GMs begin tanking if they haven't already tanked? I know Chicago's got a a jump on everybody else. There's some people following closely behind them. But if I'll ask you this. If you're a team on the bubble, if you don't know if you're going to make it in, if you're him and Han, the deadline's coming up, what should we do? What shouldn't we do for the Buffalo Sabres? If we're a team like St. Louis, the Nashville Predators? Should we just sell everybody now so we can try to get a chance to get this kid? Because in my opinion, he will be a very, very, very good hockey player, if not a superstar in the NHL when he gets there, which will be next year. What do you think? What are you doing, Tim? Well, there's no bigger stage in the world for hockey for a 17-year-old than the World Juniors. And what he's doing, like like I said, it's it's living up to the pressure, all the hype. He knows every spotlight is on him and he's delivering including in overtime the biggest moments so not only is he talented i think he's i think he's got like a mental toughness and and the ability to be clutch and do what needs to be done when it needs to be done and okay if that will that translate to the nhl who knows probably probably i think he will be that guy i think he is that guy and so if you're a gm you absolutely have to do what you can to go get a piece of him Uh, it's tough because it's still a lottery you can finish dead last and not get him you know and i feel like this is the type of player if you're a conspiracy theorist if the nhl is ever going to rig uh a lottery this would be the year to do it like they probably did with ovechkin and crosby (gasps) so how dare you It's just, Uh, you know, business is business. And so I, but here's the thing. If he turns out not to be that guy, 
no one in the world is going to blame the GM that tanked to get him because he looks like that guy in every bit of it right now. And so if he ends up like falling flat, like I nail Yakupov or something, no one's going to be like, hey, the GM really blew this when he went and tanked for Bedard because what he's doing is really special. Yeah, he's he's a good player. You, if you haven't seen him, make a point to watch him play. They play tomorrow in the semifinals versus USA. It's going to be a great hockey game. Check that one out. Now, here's the question. You're Gary Bettman. Let, let's switch hats a little bit. Put on your greasy, I'm a lawyer, douche hat. There you go. If you could rig the draft. Right now, Chicago, Anaheim, Columbus, San Jose, Arizona. Those are the front runners for that. For the most balls in the hopper, Tim, when they're floating around. Which one are you pulling out first? You're dusting it off. You're pulling a new ball out of your pocket. Magic trick. Which logo was on that ball to ensure that this kid, A, gets seen by everybody, and B, has a good chance to just explode? Where are you putting him, Tim? Where are you putting Connor Bedard? There are two that I've got my eye on. First, Chicago, because obviously original 16, big market. They haven't been good for a few years, and hockey is just better when the Blackhawks are good. The league is just a better, more exciting product. So, And you also get like a chance at maybe a year or two of Kane and Bedard in the same line, and if he sticks around. No chance like, of that. No chance you, of that. It's not no chance. It's And so so that that's very enticing. Like you bring a superstar into a superstar city, who doesn't want that? It's a lot of money to be made. The other one is Arizona, where you no. know that – if if Bettman, that's his chance to be like, hey, you know what? Like, this is my pet project. I'm going to this kid is going to build hockey in this city for me. And you know that he would want that if he could get it. So I feel like if, if he's if he's pulling the strings, it's one of those two teams. Yeah. Oh, gosh, all five of them. are. If, if you're Connor Bedard and you're looking at those teams and you go, where do I want to play? Who are my line mates going to be? I go to Chicago. Days and Kane aren't going to be there. They're not going to have any of their good unrestricted free agents. They're all gone. If I go to Anaheim, maybe Anaheim might be the one. I got Zegras. I got Troy Terry. There's some skill there. Maybe I can build around Jamie Drysdale in the back end. Columbus, who does Columbus have? You got Patrick Liney. You got Johnny Gaudreau. There's some talent there. San Jose, there's some pieces. Nothing excites me. And you want Arizona. Who does Arizona have? Marion Hosa. Andrew Lamb. Uh Logan Cooley, who's the second highest performing player in this tournament. Very, very good. Not to mention Logan some of the younger Cooley, pieces. That's a good, you know, that's all right. If I'm if I'm Connor Bedard, I want to go to the Montreal Canadiens. Le Habitant. I want to go to the Montreal Canadiens. Stay in Canada. Go to the Montreal Canadiens. I get to play with Kirby Doc. I get to play with Nick Suzuki. I get to play with Cole Caulfield. I get to play with all these good young forwards. It will be fantastic. By the time I hit free agency and I'm ready to cha-ching, cash in, they're going to have lots of money to spend. The cap will have gone up by then. I have all these other young players already locked in. That's where I want to go. If I'm Gary Bettman and I want to maximize this kid, I know it didn't work. It's not working with McDavid. It didn't work with Yakupov. It didn't work with the Nuge. It didn't work with a lot of these other. Well, it's kind of working out with Matthews. I'm putting a number one overall pick with the Montreal Canadiens. How exciting would that be? I'm telling you what, they're going to trade Josh Anderson. 
They got to get rid of Gallagher somehow. Get those two contracts off the books. If you can roll out a Suzuki, a Kirby Dock, a Cole Caulfield, not to mention they just had the number one pick in Jerzy Slikowski. Oh, that's where I'm putting him. I know it won't happen. But if I'm, if 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 I ever had an opportunity, that that would be so fun to me. Yes, Chicago needs him. Yes, Arizona needs him. Same with San Jose. Same with Columbus. All those teams need him. None of those teams are going to compete, even with him in the lineup, for the next five to ten years. You put him in Montreal next year. Whew, it's an exciting team, Tim. They're getting Drew Ann off the books. They're getting Dadanov off the books. Probably going to trade Josh Anderson. That's $15 million. You can you can get a couple good defensemen to shore up that back end. Then you add a Connor Bedard on an entry-level contract for three years. That's It won't happen, but it's fun to think about, right? We can bat it around. What a great first line that would be. Suzuki, Bedard, Cole Caulfield, average height of five foot four. I hate it, but they would be very good. Are you saying that that's where he should want to go or what Bettman would pick if he was choosing? Well, I think that I think that's where he would want to go. I don't think Bettman would give Montreal two first rounders in a row. He's not. This isn't Edmonton territory, but I, I do think that would be a good spot for Connor Bedard. You don't want to put him in Philadelphia, Vancouver. Like you want to put him with some talent, right? And here's the question that I have to ask: the Florida Panthers, since our last episode, when I said they're going to be done, they have blown my prediction out of the water. They are absolutely atrocious. Still, they can't win a game. They're now 24th in the league, Tim. We're halfway halfway through the season. Do they just cut bait and just start retooling for next year? They have some good pieces, but they they won't make the playoffs this year. That's enough. Do they, at the deadline, start trading some of their mid-level contracts to try to retool the team this year? What do you do with the Brandon Montour? What do you do with the Sam Bennett, a Carter Verhege, a Sam Reinhart? These are very good players. They make a lot of money. Not working this year. I think last year everybody saw it was lightning in a bottle and they just kind of got lucky. Sergey Bobrovsky. There's a team that I would watch at the deadline to try to see which direction this franchise is heading because they spend to the cap. They're spending all their money and it's not working. Maybe they start selling everybody. If I'm a GM and I'm looking for pieces at the deadline, I tell you what, I'd rather have a Sam Reinhart who's locked up for another year, or a Sam Bennett, a Carter Verhege. Those are very valuable pieces that you can pry first-rounders from, and you get the contract off your books, and you're going to lose, and you get closer to Connor Bedard. That would be very excited. But again, it's not going to happen. He's going to go to Arizona. He's going to go to Chicago. He'll go to Columbus, and then he'll just disappear. He'll, he'll play great, but they'll still be a dumpy team until they lose a few more years, and they'll be good. And he'll hit his entry-level contract here, then he'll sign a big ticket, and then he'll price himself out, and the team will be garbage, and it'll be Edmonton Oilers all over again. That's how it works. It's the new normal, where you just get these kids, and they play good for the first three years, and now they have to sign them early to a bridge deal and give them a ton of money at the expense of the team. And you're seeing it at Edmonton. That's why all these teams that win – they didn't do the huge bridge deals or they were more manageable like Tampa and Colorado because they can go out and they can side good veterans. They can get supplemental guys to play third, fourth line, second line roles. These, all these other teams spent all their money on their top guys. And then they handcuffs them. Edmonton, three guys make a ton of money. Nurse, McDavid, Dreinsidel, everybody else doesn't mean anything. It's a, it's a problem, Tim. It's an epidemic, some would say. 
I would say it. All right. What are we talking about next, Tim? Unless you want to stay on Bedard. Any other comments? I don't want to cut you off. No, no more comments. Just uh, I'll be watching the game, and hopefully he keeps doing some stuff, some special stuff out there. I actually had a question I, for you. So, yeah. Stay on the Bedard thing. Is he making Shane Wright look just absolutely awful? <laughs> you know. Like how? In what way? Well, Shane Wright was the guy last year. He was Connor Bedard last year. No, he was So, yes, he was. No, he was he the wasn't. clear-cut number one overall pick. Fine, but that does not... Number one or overall picks are not the same. They're not equal. But if there was a comparison from one year to the next, last year, who would it be? Yeah, Shane, right? I guess. Okay. It's okay. So that yes. So he was Shane, he was Connor Bedard last year. Is he just making do you think Shane Wright's skating around the ice with this guy going, damn it? Connor again? 21 points, five games? Connor? He's I bet you he is. Because now only hear whisperings. That Seattle might trade Shane Wright, cut bait, get rid of him altogether. This guy is complete, absolute bust. I know it's crazy early, but to have those types of things like like floating around after you've only played nine or ten games in the NHL, that's remarkable. That's that's something else. So no, you don't think it's making Shane Wright look bad. You don't think he's thinking about it. No, because you really can't compare first overall picks too, too much. Because look at like Nathan McKinnon. Did everyone think that like comparing him to Nail Yakupov or Ryan Nugent Hopkins before him? Like it. Yeah, everybody does it all the time. Every yeah, but there are first there are first overall picks that are generational that you can't compare to like the best player in a group versus like oh this is the guy that's going to turn a franchise around. They're not the same. People compare number one overall picks all the time. Isn't that what we do? I mean, Shane Wright is no slouch. He's having a pretty good tournament. And yeah, there was a couple of goals. Like he didn't do anything. He goes to the he net. Do anything. Bedard yeah. like makes that little backhand pass and he just buries it. <sighs> I think he scored in overtime. He's been, I, I, in the moments I have seen from Shane Wright, he's been pretty like classy, like just good teammate. I think he's where he's a C for Team Canada, right? He does. And he's yeah. just, yeah, I feel like he's been a good leader and hopefully he's he'll keep his name out of the headlines with saying stupid stuff or trying to be like the redemption tour thing and all that. So are you Shane Wright's publicist? Are you trying to spin it right now? Because it feels like you are. You got like you're you're on team right. My instinct is just disagree with whatever you're saying, even if I don't even believe it. I don't you care about Shane White one way or the other. You know what's funny? <laughs> I did I did think because we had a little bit of a break between shows you know we did christmas we did one on boxing day and then i think we might have done one more i don't know well you know going into this new year we gotta be more positive because i'm negative the whole Connor mcdavid thing it took a got took on a life of its own i'm still taking heat for it for pete's sake ilvechkin thing still get heat for that i'm like we gotta be positive and then i just come and trash shane wright first show i'm not trashing him i'm just being realistic if i put myself in shane wright's skates i'm a little annoyed that Connor Bedard's doing all this and I'm not doing anything. This was my team. I'm the captain. I'm supposed to get sent down by the Seattle crack and come down here. And this is my team. I'm supposed to be the guy. And I get to ride shotgun and watch this kid just embarrass everybody. It's my goal. I want to score in overtime. Not you, Connor, you jerk, you big jerk. All right, moving on. It's a new year. I talked about my routine. I like my routine. My wife likes her routine. We get up. The kids go to school. She goes to church. I come to work. Everything's in order. It's nice. And I translate that to hockey. I'm like, okay, which hockey teams have everything in order? What does it take to be a champion, Tim? What does it take to to reach that 
pinnacle, that apex. Yes, there's a lot of good hockey teams. I think that's that's more common than ever. Parity is it's alive and well in the NHL. I would say there's probably eight to ten teams right now who you could pencil in to be a, a Stanley Cup champion. Would would you agree, Tim? I would. Yep. Following but so what far. Is it, what does it take to be a Stanley Cup champion? In my eyes, high-end talent, yeah, of course. Strong down the middle, good defense. I think that I think a lot of teams can check those boxes. What in my eyes it takes to be a champion is consistency. It's doing the norms right every single day. And when I, when I look at a team that does that, it's not going on big losing streaks. And for whatever reason, I got on this little this bug. It bit me last week, and I've been thinking about it and chewing on it and gnawing on it. So I did a little digging. And I think it was because the Carolina Hurricanes really popped into my purview. For whatever reason, this whole season, I've been like, gosh, Carolina, you don't hear much from Carolina. They're just there. You look at the standings, they're second. You look at the standings, they're third. You look at the standings, oh, they were in first for a little bit. That's great. But they don't really make too much noise. You know what I mean, Tim? It's it's the kid in class who's always good. Stays out of trouble, maybe sits two rows back, does good on all the tests, doesn't need much. He's just there. He's consistent. He's going to show up every day and do his job. And that's the Carolina Hurricanes. And so I, I went and I looked at their record. I'm like, gosh, they've won 11 in a row, Tim. They're a pretty darn good team. Why do I think they're, they should be languishing? What, why do I have this perception of the Carolina Hurricanes? I go and look at the record. They haven't lost more than two games, three games all season. They had a three-game stretch early in the year, and everybody kind of wrote them off. And ever since then, they've been crazy consistent. They don't lose two games in a row. They don't lose three games in a row. They are just lock solid. We lose one game, we won't lose the next one. And I played on some pretty darn good teams, and that was a common thread between every single team. We lose one, we might lose two, we will not lose three in a row. We tried our A's off that third game because we didn't want to get used to losing. Come playoff time, when you lose one or two, you have to have that type of mentality ingrained in you, already in your system, say, you know, we can't lose three in a row. We haven't done it all season long. 82 games, we've never lost three in a row. It's nice to be able to pull that out of your back pocket and say, you know what? Been there, done that. We're ready for this. And it got me thinking, which teams in the league right now who are contenders have gone on massive winning streaks? Which teams are playing steady-as-she-go type of hockey? And so I went and looked back and looked at the records from this year, last year, the year before, try to get some common threads here. And what I found was pretty interesting. New Jersey Devils, Stanley Cup contenders, right? Everybody's everybody's on the New Jersey Devil train. I am. I think they're a good team. They had a streak of their loss, 9 of 11, Tim. 9 of 11. Good teams don't do that. Teams that I think are going to be Stanley Cup contenders don't do that. Washington Capitals having a pretty good year. They lost 9 of 11 at one point. New York Rangers, Stanley Cup contenders. They've had losing streaks of 5 and 6, Tim. 5 and 6. The Bruins, first place all season long. They have not had one two-game losing streak. Toronto Maple Leafs, they had a four-game losing streak, but two of them were in overtime. So we'll we'll put a little asterisk next to that. Tampa Bay, very good team. They've only lost two games three times in a row. I love it. Then there's other, other teams kind of on the bubble. 
teams that you don't know what they're going to be. Red Wings, they've had streaks of six games and four games. The Sabres, they lost eight games at times. Flames, seven games, three games, five games. Oilers, pretty good. Three games, only twice. You can just tell the difference between a team that gets it and a team that doesn't get it. And in my eyes, Devils, not, not doing it this year. They don't have the mental capacity. Maybe it's early. Maybe they got it out of the way. And then the next 40, they'll, they'll you know, not lose two in a row the whole 40. But I don't like that for whatever reason. I, I just don't like a very good team just playing bad for a month straight. Because that's what it is. It's a month's work of, worth of hockey. Just you're not there. And good teams don't do that for long periods of time. You look back at the cup winners the last three years. Colorado last year, they had four losing streaks of two games. That's it. Never lost three games in a row once. Two years ago, Tampa Bay, they had three two-game losing streaks. That's it. They never lost three games. The Lightning, the year before that, two two-game losing streaks and one three-gamer when they were, one was in overtime. That's incredible for 82 games. To not have one three-game losing streak, you're looking at me like, John, you're crazy. Am I, am I, am I smoking something here? Am, am I totally off base? Or is consistency oh. a good gauge in a champion? I like it. Um, I don't know. So a couple of questions. How does that translate into a seven game playoff series? We're like, I know, okay, you don't want to lose two games in a row, obviously, but like we're talking about an 82 game season and a seven game series. It's pretty different things, right? Yeah. I just think it's mental memory. You, you, you build that kind of callus on your hands. Like we're not losing three in a row. Look at the abs. They didn't lose three in a row all season long. And when you get into the playoffs, you will face adversity. It's like, gosh, we lost both games on the road. It's tied 2-2 coming back to our own barn. What are we going to do? How are we going to react in this situation? And you know, you can go back. You can have that confidence and say, oh, I've done it all season long. We've lost two in a row. We're not going to lose three. But bingo, bango. Like hockey players are so mental. And, and you see it in games all the time. I When we were at Tech Western. Two nothing, three nothing, four nothing. It's like an avalanche where you can't stop it. And if you go back and you've played games, you've lost two in a row in the season. You've lost three in a row. You you you're used. Your brain is programmed to kind of just accepting those losses. I don't know. It's it's weird mentally, but it it, it is a real thing because I've been on teams that are bad, and you just come into the rink. You're like, ah, we're probably gonna lose. Let's keep it close, and you just accept losing, and that's the fact. And but I've been on good teams that weren't mentally as strong as the good teams I were on that had that thing that we never thought we were going to lose. And it's just hard to quantify or to kind of speak about, but it is a real thing because you look at the teams that were contenders the last few years, Oilers, Leafs, Stars, Flames, the Oilers last year, they had a six game losing streak, a seven game losing streak, multiple two and three game losing streaks. There's a reason they didn't win the Stanley cup. The Leafs, Two five-game losing streaks. The Stars, five, four, three, three-game losing streaks. The Flames, a bunch of three- and four-game losing streaks. I I think it's – there's something there. I don't know. I I just got thinking about this. Consistency, doing the norms, being able to go in and do your job, not letting your emotions take over. You look at the teams this year. The Leafs look like they're competitive. The Bruins look like they're competitive. Tampa Bay, who I thought was going to miss the playoffs – they look pretty stinking good. The Rangers, nah, maybe not. Hurricanes, they're going to be there. They're they're definitely going to be there, Tim. You know, Tim. the Lightning, the Knights, the Bruins, the Leafs. Those those are the teams who I'm looking for in the playoffs when it comes down to uh, final four, final final eight teams. 
So, man. Just well, something okay. I was thinking about. Take us in the in their locker room for a minute, because like, okay, you just say you have a rule that you never lose three games in a row, right? What happens between games two and three? Where is it? Do you prepare differently? Is it just like an energy thing? You guys are more aligned because you're working toward like specific. Because you try every night to win. You can't like play differently, or can you? Oh, you can. Yeah, there. Well, you, you see it in playoff hockey, right? The, the intensity picks up as soon as playoffs drop at every single player, every single shift, every single moment is life or death. So when it gets to game three and you've lost two games in a row, maybe you don't make that cross ice pass. Maybe you don't stay out, you know, for a minute and a half on that shift. Maybe you get off early. Maybe you, you rub that guy out a little bit harder. So he doesn't get to the net. You do the things that are maybe a little bit more difficult in the playoffs. You would do it. In game 42, maybe you wouldn't do it. But if it's game three of a two-game losing streak, you're going to do it because you don't want to lose three in a row. So, yeah, you definitely – someone of my talent, I don't play different because I didn't know when I was going to get in the lineup or be taken out. But a guy who knows he's playing every single game for 82 games, you better believe he's going to take it easy for the a, a good stretch of the season. And mind you, he's still playing great, but you're not diving in front of that shot. You're not doing things that could put you in harm's way. Whereas in the playoffs, who cares? Like I, I'm going for it. I'm diving. I'm going into that corner first. I'm going to get that puck. So yeah, you players do play differently. So I think when it gets to that third game and you don't want to lose that game, maybe you do a, those hard things a little bit more than you would if it was just a normal, you know, we lost one or we were on, we're on a three game winning streak. Let's go. I'm not going to block that shot. I don't want to break my hand. So yeah, players do play differently too. I believe it. I believe that makes sense. I believe. I think you're. I think you're onto something there. I know. Maybe nobody's interested in this. I think it's interesting. Just watch the losing streaks of everybody, because it it does say a lot. If a team has a four-game losing streak, like right now the Canadians do, they're a bad team. I think it says a lot to their mental toughness, because you shouldn't. You shouldn't lose four or five in a row. You you really shouldn't. You have to have. you got to be pissed off when you lose. And it just shows me that they're just not, they don't, they don't have it yet. Moving on. What do you want to talk about now? The trade market, Tim, the trade market. Yeah. I saw uh, Frank tweeted out this morning, the blues news. Um, Yeah. So potential trade trips, Ryan O'Reilly broken foot and Vladimir Tarasenko hand injury. will be out for a while. O'Reilly minimum six weeks, Tarasenko four weeks which is tough for the blues that there was kind of like their saving grace was like, okay, we got at least some valuable pieces we can flip for some prospects or whatever draft pick. And now it's hard to say what those guys would be worth. If they, what they look like when they come back, all that. And so I'm digging a little bit more into some of the other teams. We talked a little bit about this last week, but like teams that are are out of playoff contention, you mentioned Florida already, a couple other guys that I would keep my eye on Ottawa senators to bring it is still, he's, he's in a contract season again, He's going to want a big payday. He's obviously one of the the better goal scorers in the league. You're shaking your head no, but he is. And so he's someone that you, uh, absolutely will get called on. And then Hamannick on the back end, he's not that young anymore, but he's still pretty reliable. And one of the things you see pretty much with every playoff team is the defensive depth really gets tested. The Bruins have been burned by this many times, but they – they they keep their same seven defense when they have, and then they lose two or three or four sometimes, and you don't have – you're calling up no names from Providence. So uh, I think you'll see defensemen like Radko Gudis is great, another great example. He's making 2.5. He's gotten a, con- a, a 
his contract expiring, like everyone's going to want a piece of that. So um, that's another name there. The Ducks, we talked about Klingberg already for the offensive upside that he brings, but also Kulikov. I didn't realize this. He's not that old and he's still logging 20 plus minutes a night. <laughs> like, he's not that old. <laughs> um, who wouldn't want Dmitry Kulikov as like your second, third pairing who can still log the heavy minutes and, and he'll be responsible, reliable for you. And then we talk about the Blackhawks, Kane and Taze, obviously, but you got Max Domi, um, who I think some teams would would take a flyer on. He did some pretty cool things in the playoffs last year. And then Al Stalock. If you need some goalie depth, why wouldn't you give this guy a call? He's obviously a locker room guy too. And it's just interesting to look at like the the if you have like a Vasilevsky, for example, but you want to have hopefully he never starts a game, but you want to have like a a reliable veteran goalie as a backup, and maybe he gets in for you know an injury here or there. You pull your goalie, whatever. Um, Stalock definitely fits that mold. So a couple of names to think about. There's a lot of there's a lot of names. I, I, for whatever reason, Tim, the Debrinket thing still irks me. I don't know why. He's a good young player. He's 25 years old. He makes nine million dollars this year. Nine schmil. What do you think is a good number for him? Because I think he's proving me true where he went from being a 40, 40, 42 goal scorer riding shotgun at Patrick Kane. This year he's going to land on what? 30, 25. So it's still very good. Very, very good goal scorer. Maybe not the elite guy. What What do you think is a good number for Alex to bring up? He's 25. He's going to give you 30 goals a year for the next seven years. What's What is that? What does that get you these days? Well, first of all, his cap his cap hits six point four, but he makes um, nine. Okay, the way is the way is whatever. Yes, go ahead. Um, he's gonna want that. He's gonna want because he can. He can. He's still got those forty goal seasons under his belt, and this season isn't really helping his case to go have a contract season and, and earn a big paycheck. But if his agent's any good, he can still point to those. Like, hey, you put him in the right situation, he's gonna be lights out for you. You can play you know, in all situations. And so I feel like to bring it, he's going to look for like nine, 10. Uh, is he worth it? Maybe not. I don't think he, he's more of like a supplemental piece. I don't think he's can go be like drive a line, for example, but I think you're probably right about that. Oh, oh, okay. So you've changed your tune. That's, that's good to know. You've, you've come back down. You're, you're living in reality now that this guy benefited from playing with Patrick Kane very, 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 very much. I never said he didn't benefit from everyone's better when they play with Patrick Kane. I get that. You said he was going to go to Ottawa and he wouldn't even miss a beat. He was going to hit 40 goals. No problem. Now all of a sudden he scored 13. You know, he got the Patrick Kane bump. He's got 13 goals. He's got 13 goals. That's all I'm saying. Dylan Larkin. Dylan Cousins, all those guys. He that's his Troy Terry. That's his market. He's not up with the high, high end guys, the Posternocks. He's not. So let's just put that to bed. I win. But I'm right. You're wrong. Write that down. All right. Moving on to other free agents. I'll be interested to see what Bull Horvat does. I'll be interested to see what teams who are on the bubble right now. Teams like Detroit, teams like Washington, teams like Pittsburgh. There's a lot of very good free agents who are valuable other than Tarasenko. What do the Bruins do with Pasternak? He's an unrestricted free agent after this year. Rumors are he's about to sign and ink a massive deal. But what if that doesn't happen? What if they come to the trade deadline, Tim? And Poss is like, I'm not signing. 
I'm going to wait to, I'm going to wait till the end. They have to keep him right. How, how sore would Don Sweeney feel if this 27 year old superstar walks and you get nothing for him? Are you willing to risk that Tim to potentially win a Stanley cup? How much is that worth to you? Yes. What happens? What do you, you are. No question. No question. And, and you're, you're now the Columbus blue jackets and you just let Bobrovsky walk. You just let Panarin walk because he risked it too. And now look at where the blue jackets are. If they would have traded both of those guys, three, four first rounders, they would have been a completely different franchise. So if you're the Bruins, you would not even entertain it. They're the best team in hockey. So no, like it is one thing if it was like, you know, even if they were Tampa or New York, Pittsburgh, where you're in a playoff spot, you're a good winning team. You got a legit chance. And then you take that risk, but they're, they're the best team on the planet right now. So it's different. It's not the same as the blue. I, I see your point, but there's no chance. And honestly, it's kind of embarrassing that they haven't gotten this done yet. Like the winter classic would have been a great time to announce it. And he keeps the season he's having, the price keeps going up and up and up. It's not going to come back down. So I don't know why they, what they're waiting for. Every time you hear him, it sounds like they're not particularly close. And I don't know what the hang up is. He should be given 11 years, 8 million or eight years, sorry, eight years, 11 million and call it done, you know, but are you nervous? Not yet. Not yet. It's on my radar. It's like, I, I, I acknowledge it, but I'm not, I'm not nervous yet. Yeah. I would be nervous because this should be a no brainer. Like you said, this guy is your franchise. He's young. I don't know if he wants to stay in Boston. That's the thing. For, for whatever reason, he is not signing. You put him on the unrestricted free agent list, Bull Horvat, people are kicking his tires, the New York Rangers, maybe that'd be a nice fit. Send Lafreniere out the door, bring in Bull Horvat. You got Timo Meyer. He's having a pretty good year in San Jose, Tim. Started off a little slow. He's got 38 and 39. I like where he's at. You mentioned Debrinket, Dylan Larkin in Detroit. What are they going to do with him? Where is that franchise heading? There's a lot. We did this last year, though. We do this every single year, and it drives me absolutely nuts. I get super excited. I look at all the UFAs. I get all giddy. I'm like, oh, there's going to be so much action at the deadline. Dylan Strom, Patrick Kane, Shane Gossespear, all these guys are going to be moved. It's going to be epic. Eric Gustafson, Jason Zucker, Thomas Tatar. All these guys are going to go. Jonathan Taves, Marcus Johansson. We got Nyquist. You got Zach Parisi. You got all these. It's going to be so fun. And then one guy gets traded. And it's just like, this was so incredibly lame. I hope, I hope teams make moves. It's going to be exciting. If you were to take one guy, I love playing this game with you, Tim. You're the GM. I love it. I don't know why. You think you'd be a great GM. If you're a GM and you could get one guy, Bo Horvat is going to be on the market. Timo Meyer is going to be on the market. And Alex Debrinkit will be on the market. I think those are the three high-end forwards that you can look to. And a Patrick King. Let's not let's not sell a Patrick Kane, but I'm I'm thinking about guys who can be long term. We'll throw Patrick in there. Who are you trying to get? You got Bo Horvat, the moose of a centerman who's got 40 points this year. You got Timo Meyer, just a, a fast, powerful winger who can just get up and down the ice and score goals. Everybody knows Alex Debrinkit. He's just a little water bug. Or you got Patty Kane, arguably the best playmaker of the last 10 years. Who do you want out of those four of them? That's a tough question. It's between Horvat and Kane for me. And I think I might pick Horvat. I think I want the 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 size, the grittiness, the center, the guy who can do it all. He's been scoring a lot of goals this year. And I think he's probably got something to prove. I think he wants to show that he's better than what his team is doing. And so I 
would I would pick him. But you can't go wrong with Kaner either. He's going to change your entire offense. So you can't. But I would pick Horvat. Yeah, I think you're right. That guy's a moose. He's so big. He's so. By the way, the dysfunction in Vancouver is ceasing. Our friend of the show. I know. What what are we doing here in Vancouver? He's smacking the goalie and he's like, I got off the ice. He's not trying. It's 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 just it's too much for me. What's happening in Vancouver? Well, it started with that thing where there was uh, the goalie was not going. They pulled to the, the goalie. They wanted to pull the goalie. They need the extra attacker. Yeah, but and so like the goalies are trained not to do that until the puck leaves the zone. <laughs> you're in full control, right? I know, and I Miller's know. got the puck, but he's skating directly at the player, and he's trying to say afterward, like I had full control. He should go, but uh, it's confusion. And then Miller didn't handle it well. And then like the next game, there was a similar situation. I think it was overtime or. No, they were down because he's late in the third. It was a face-off in the offensive zone. And he was smacking his stick because Quinn Hughes wasn't in the right place at the face-off. And then and he says weird stuff. Where, like, I'm reading a quote from him now. So he got asked about his lack of production. And he said, I'd like to say, this is a quote, I'd like to say my lack of production is a compliment to me not cheating the game and playing the right way. First of all, what does that mean? I, I can't follow that sentence. Second of all, it sounds like I don't I want to have him back on. Like I like this guy. I'm not gonna dump all over him, but not a good look. And then even Frank Starabelli said he's developing like a reputation in that room of being kind of a jerk. Like there's there's something to all of this. And I don't want it to be true, but it's with his smoke, there's fire. Oh, we're gonna have him back on. He's a friend of the show. That that's a given. But yeah, it doesn't look good for JT. This was a very this was the biggest fear when he signed that big deal. This 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 was everybody's this is what everybody thought was going to happen. You're going to resign. The team's going to continue to struggle and everybody's going to implode. And it's exactly what's happening. I still think they can make the playoffs. That's that's the crazy thing. They're not that far out of it. They can go on a run and they can make the playoffs. But this team is dysfunctional. This team doesn't work. JT Miller, we talk about accountability. Instead of answering that critique from that reporter in a kind of saucy way, like, hey, you know what? I'm not scoring. I'm playing better defensively. That's why I'm, I'm not which sacrificing. Is not. <laughs> but which is also, it's a burn to him last year saying that he sacrificed his game defensively to score more points. So it, it, it works both ways as a compliment to him, but it also burns him for last year. So I don't know. You don't say that. You're a leader on this team now. You're locked in. You just say, you know what? It's not going my way. I got to work harder. That's it. And you move on. Less is more when it comes to those sorts of things. So it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch Vancouver just absolutely implode. I uh, I don't know. I, I want them to do better. I really do. But it's just JT. All right. Let's do some quick hits, Tim. What are we doing here? Captain of the defending Stanley Cup champions, Gabriel Landeskog. Nowhere close to return, Tim. Are, are we concerned yet for the avalanche and all these injuries? That's what Bednar said yesterday. And it's tough because if the playoffs start today, the Avs aren't in it. Um, they did have Nathan McKinnon back over the weekend and he's had two points the other night. So he's back and they're basically closer to, to full throttle, but yeah, missing your captain, one of your best players is tough. And I thought he was inching closer to return, but now they're saying, yeah, nowhere close. So not a great sign. Hopefully he'll be back for the playoffs. Um, Do they make the playoffs? Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. But not a given, not guaranteed. They're one point. What else? Uh, did you watch any of that Winter Classic yesterday? Didn't even know it was on. 
Yeah. I'd, uh, I watched a little bit of it. It was good. It was, the Bruins won, obviously, uh, which is cool. Obviously. Actually, well, it's funny because the 2010 was the last time they had it at Fenway, and it was a similar game. I think that was also maybe two to one, but they came back against the Flyers and you saw a similar thing happen yesterday, which is pretty good. Jake DeBrusque having a really good season. He looks like a different player. And and Montgomery's gone to bat several times with him in the press, just about his work ethic and how tough he is and how much how hard like the the, the time that he's putting in and all that. And so you can tell it's he's playing with more confidence. He's a mental player. He really is. And that just speaks to how important it is for these young players and all players in general to be in a mentally good spot. It, it affects your play so much. He's the perfect example. Same player, two different years. One coach has him in the doghouse, always on him, critiquing him in the press. Following year, this coach got his back, giving him compliments, giving him chances. Could be an all-star this year, potentially. Two completely different players. It's unbelievable. Good for Jake DeBrusque. There's a cool little moment, too, where Pasternak had like this like green monster, David Ortiz, uh, custom stick made for the game and someone asked DeBrusque why he didn't do anything and he was basically like I'm having some pretty good luck with the sticks I have now I don't want to I don't want to mess that up which is yeah I he's like definitely it. a mental guy no uh, he is and I'll oh, go ahead go ahead I'm gonna move on so you have anything else on DeBrusque no let's move on well the last thing is is friend of the show Joe Pavelski quietly signed the contract extension over the weekend one year three and a half million dollars the guy just doesn't want to age and I love it it's so much fun to watch and the Dallas Stars don't look now second place in the Western Conference, have a legit chance to make the Stanley Cup finals again. They're playing great. Robertson, Hintz, Pavelski doing what they did last year. And Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan quietly having a very, very good season. Tim, look for them at the trade deadline. They could be the sneaky pick for the Stanley Cup champion, don't you think? They could be. Robertson is just out of this world talented. And Rupa Hintz, he's making that contract look legit. He just signed a big eight-plus million deal, deal that kicks in next year. He's got 42 points in 37 games. These guys are good. Robert, he's got 54, Robertson. 54 points in 38 games. It's insane. It's it's honestly insane. People talk about McDavid. This guy has the same amount of points as McDavid did in his first oh, however many hundred games. He's a real deal, Jason Robertson. I I'm on board. He's on my fantasy. I got to check that fantasy team. Cause I haven't done it in a while. I'll see if I'm winning. <laughs> Am I winning Tim? I don't know. No, no, I'm guessing it. not my goalies. I got to get that Ottinger fella. But anyways, everybody might have an interview tomorrow. What do you think? Yay, Nathan? Yeah. Looking like it. Yeah. All right. We're going to get, um, did he make the all-star team last year? No. Calder. So. He, he was almost a Calder winner. <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe. I don't know. Carolina Hurricanes superstar Seth Jarvis will be joining the show tomorrow. We'll probably release it. Maybe release it tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. We're so loosey goosey here at dropping the gloves. We don't even we don't even know when we're going to release episodes. But listen, look for that interview. I'm, I'm I'm excited to talk to this kid. Came and took the hockey world by storm. Carried the Hurricanes last year when they couldn't find any scoring. Remember, everyone just went the well went dry, and Seth Jarvis just carried them. So we're going to get. A, Nice chat with him. Talk about the Hurricanes' big win streak, and it was it was a total coincidence that we did a Hurricanes focused episode. Now we're going to transition into Seth Jarvis. Totally coincidence, but it works out great. Thanks everybody for listening. I hope you're having a good New Year. We will talk to you later. Cheers. 
Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 